All of the blessings and benefits of our technology should lead you to a greater pursuit of the Word of God, not inventing ways to waste your time. Whether it's through food or sports or any of those other things, don't waste your time. You can't afford it. I'll try to hop off my soapbox here, but it, I just talked to so many people. I just don't have time, and I got this, and I talked, well, what are you adding into your life, and what are you doing? I got all these other things I do, and all these other things I pursue. You need to pursue the Word of God first. If you got time for some of those other things, fine. Hello, and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. We are commanded to be pure, but we cannot accomplish this command apart from the supernatural work of God. And here's where we often get confused. And different views of holiness represent this confusion. There's someone say, hey, you, your heart's been, you've been washed clean. All I have to do is claim that. Right? And then everything that flows out of the heart is generally pure. So you just, you just grab hold of that and, and go with it. Well, the problem with that is the sin that remains. And so there's a lack of guarding oftentimes. A lack of careful consideration. Well, what the heart thinks is right then. So you can, in fact, follow your heart. And it forgets the nature, that kind of holiness forgets the nature of the sin that remains and causes you to be unaware of it or lacking in vigilance towards it. And so you don't pursue holiness with a rigorous diligence. It's kind of the, the Keswick view of holiness where because the heart has been made new, you just kind of let go and let God. He'll accomplish this. See, it's his work, so you can't do anything. He accomplished it in the first part to bring you into the kingdom. And now you just kind of wait on God. You cry out to him and that's all you do. And somehow that will cause you to change and grow and become holy. But no, we partner with God in sanctification, in this kind of holiness. I already read 2 Corinthians 7.1, we cleanse ourselves. Again, don't misunderstand that. That means we work hard in the act of cleansing as God works within us to bring the power, desire, and ability and ultimate effectiveness. But it does begin and must begin with prayer. You cannot do this on your own. And you cannot do it apart from the powerful work of God. Psalm 51.10. David, after his sin with Bathsheba, most specifically, he committed other sins, certainly. But he cries out to the Lord, what? You were familiar with this phrase, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He's not crying out for salvation. He's asking that God would do his work to, re to renew and restore the heart that had sinned. And to bring about that work of holiness, to continue that work within him, he understands that it is God who brings this about, ultimately. That it is he who brings purity. And while I'm probably not telling you anything you don't know in that first, you know, first way to cultivate holiness, my question to you this morning is, how often do you actually pray for purity of heart? Is it a passion of yours? Do you set aside a whole period of your morning or period of your day to cry out to God that you would be pure in heart? And if you wrestle with being pure in heart, which each of us do all at different levels, then I would submit to you that it needs more prayer. 
And so what am I saying? You will never stop praying for purity of heart. But it is something you must cry out to the Lord for. And if you wonder why you're not, don't have greater purity of heart, I would ask you first to track it back to your prayer life. Are you crying out to God? Do you recognize your dependence upon him? Even as we will see that we need to pursue it vigorously with our efforts, we must pursue it vigorously in prayer. That's an effort, by the way. Does it not take work to pray? I don't know about you. It does for me. In fact, some of the hardest work that I do is to cry out to God for the very things that I need. And Satan is constantly seeking to thwart me in this way, putting things in my way so that I would not take time to pray, driving me in any way that he possibly can towards distraction, partnering with my own evil heart, the evilnesses that remain in my heart to distract me from crying out to God that I would be holy. And so I urge you this week that you might place again into your schedule, into your time, into your prayer time, a whole, a whole period of that which is crying out to God that you would be pure. Look in the Psalms. David cries out about this continually. And in the Psalm I just read, Psalm 5110, create in me a clean heart, O God. And he prays these things over and over. So there's prayer for God's work if we are to cultivate a purity of heart. There's also then devotion to the truth. Devotion to the truth. No, not just reading the truth. And of course, here I'm speaking of Scripture. You knew that was coming. This is not rocket science in the sense that some brand new thing. Prayer and the Word. Oh, great, Chris. I mean, we hear that all the time. Yes, you do. Are you doing it? Again, I'll, I'll reference you back to last weekend. You want, to, you want to not be bitter? You want to resolve your conflicts? You want to be gentle and humble? Then know Scripture, understand Scripture, desire Scripture, practice Scripture. Pray about Scripture. It goes back to that. There is, there's no other way. There's no mystical way. There's no secret way. There's no magic way. There's no mis- none of those things. This is how it's done. It's supernatural. It's spiritual. Devotion to the truth. The word of God is the source from which the truth necessary for purity flows. The spirit brings the power. The spirit is the one who, who cleanses the heart through the word. But as he brings the power, he uses the principles of the word of God to bring purity. He himself does not zap purity into the life. It comes through the implementation of the truths of scripture. And you will never be more holy than the amount of scripture that you understand and apply. Never. You may long for it. You may wish it. You may know things about scripture. But if you're not applying it, understanding it, and then pursuing it, you will not be holy in that area. Let me just read you some scripture. You know this already. Might your heart be renewed, reinvigorated towards a pursuit of the word of God by these verses. First Peter 2, 2, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that by it, you may grow with respect to salvation, not growing as in accomplishing salvation, but growing as one who was saved. The benefits of the blessings of and the demonstration of your salvation all come from the pure milk of the word. As you bring in the pure milk, then your heart becomes increasingly more pure. Now, unfortunately, in our world today, people spend all kinds of time getting pure real milk or regular milk. I got the right cow. Now it's all back to we're going to, you know, we don't want to get it from the store. All these different things. You spend, people spend hours trying to find the right kind of milk and, and trying to get it to their kids so they'll be healthy. How much time do you spend with the pure milk of the word? Nothing wrong with organic milk. Well, might be. I I'm not even going to go there. Maybe it'll harm you. I don't know, but I know the pure milk of the word won't. And I know you ought to spend a little bit more time there than you do with some of these other things. The, the reality of, of your life is that you need the pure milk of the word. And you need to set aside other things to get it. If you can do both, spend some time in pursuing you know, your, your organic food or whatever it is, fine. But it had best not be in place of 
you are drawing from the pure milk of the word. And if you never had the other and you had the pure milk of the word, you would have what you need. Don't make excuses. I don't have time. Really? What can you get rid of? Why is it? Isn't it such a blessing in our day and age that you can go to store and pick things up that it takes a little bit of time, not manufacturing things that take more time so that you have less time to pursue the pure milk of the word of God? We live in a society that gives us unlimited time in many ways. You can pursue it in so many different ways. All of the blessings and benefits of our technology should lead you to a greater pursuit of the word of God, not inventing ways to waste your time. Whether it's through food or sports or any of those other things, don't waste your time. You can't afford it. I'll try to hop off my soapbox here, but it, I just talked to so many people. I don't have time, and I got this, and I talk, well, what are you adding into your life, and what are you doing? I got all these other things I do, and all these other things I pursue. You need to pursue the Word of God first. If you got time for some of those other things, fine. They're absolutely unnecessary in a spiritual economy. You have to have this. You don't have to have many of the other things that you pursue. That was just one verse. I better continue on Psalm 12, 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times, as pure as could possibly be, nothing left in them which would, would take away from the value of the metal, as it were, and nothing in Scripture that would ever take away from your purity. All of that simply promoting it. The words of the Lord are pure words. We listen to so many other words. Can I go after an, an, another sacred cow? How about you know the radio you listen to and the talk radio stuff that you pour in your mind and the Fox News that, that is playing all the time? Those are not pure words. Would you not do better off shutting that stuff off and having at least maybe scripture being read to you? At least maybe taking that time to memorize some scripture, to think through it, to know it, understand it? Put it away. You don't have time. You need the pure words of God some commentator's going to give you pure words? You're going to click on Rush Limbaugh? He's going to give you pure words? No man can give you that kind of pure words, regardless of how, how seemingly intelligent they may be. The words of the Lord are pure words. Psalm 19.8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You want to be able to see? That's what it means to see God, right? Your eyes are enlightened so the ignorance and foolishness and sin is burned away so you can see God for who he truly is because he is pure and holy. Then you need scripture, the spirit of God working through the principles of the word of God to lighten your eyes because his word is pure. Purity enlightens. Purity enables you to see God for who he really is and the beauty of his character and nature that drive you. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. I think I've read this verse in every one of these messages that I've done on the Beatitudes. Psalm 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Well, let me go on just a bit. Psalm 15.2. He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. That's a definition of a pure heart. He speaks truth. So much of what you speak in your heart is untrue. The things you speak about yourself, the things you speak about others, the things you speak about God, your heart is talking all the time, isn't it? You are constantly telling yourself things. That's where everything else comes from. The things you tell yourself are the words you speak, the actions you do, the desires you have. You're constantly, your, your inner man is constantly talking. It has to speak truth. And the only way to know truth 
is the principles of Scripture. And so you have to speak the truth of Scripture within your heart. It's principles properly understood and then applied. Psalm 51.6. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and the, in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. You will never be pure apart from truth. Truth comes only, ultimate truth comes only from Scripture. Truth that purifies comes only from the Word of God and the Spirit of God illuminating that to your heart. Are you devoted to truth? And that is the truth of Scripture, big T truth. Now, I know some of you have to spend your time on the truth you learn in school. You have to do that. That's part of your actually pursuing purity in your work by doing it diligently. But understand that those pursuits still must remain secondary to the pursuit of truth. So prayer to God, devotion to the truth, that is the commands of Scripture, and then the exercise of faith. You can't stop with the first two. It's not like we're done. We pray, we read the Word, we seek to understand it, we study. You can't stop there. You continue on to do what? You exercise faith. That is living according to what you just learned in Scripture. That's all it is. I believe it. It's written here. I will do it. I don't want to necessarily all the time because my will is still fighting against me, even in a renewed heart. My affections are not always perfectly driven by a love of God, and yet I exercise faith. What I cannot see, I still do, because I see it in Scripture, and the Spirit gives me strength. Now, this is true of, of entering into the kingdom. Listen to Acts 15.9. Speaking of the salvation of the Gentiles, Peter says, he made no distinction between us and them, Jews and Gentiles, cleansing their hearts by faith. It's the conduit through which that cleansing flowed was faith. It was the Spirit of God that produced it, but the conduit through which it came was faith, the exercise of faith. 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. Let me put it this way, faith is the scrub brush of the heart. Every time you exercise faith, it is scrubbing away some more sin because to exercise faith is to obey God, which is purity. Every exercise of faith is an increase in purity. Now, I hope, if you were really convicted the first two, which I hope you were, I hope that you, your heart goes, wow, wait a minute. I thought maybe purity was some you know, big project that I entered into, and after you know, 15 days, I got a little purity. Coming here this morning is an exercise of faith in greater purity. If you came desiring to know God, to love God, to serve God on the basis of the truths of Scripture, which the vast majority of you did, rejoice. Your decision is this morning not to be bitter or angry or frustrated over certain things. That was the exercise of faith. Your, your decision right now to trust what the Word of God says is an exercise of faith. It is scrubbing the heart clean. Because again, as we said, it's from the spots of sin that remain. There's a purity of heart that, that by its intrinsic nature it has now been changed, but those spots remain. Perhaps it would be a bit like this. You have a, a house that was rotten to the core, had, it was full of termite damage. And in, in some way, you were able to restore that house. Now this, the, the structure is sound. The house itself has been totally changed, but you didn't do anything to the paint job. It's still peeling and falling off, so you've got to scrub off the rest of that extra paint to reveal the beauty of the house that's underneath. Well, that's what our hearts are like. They're changed. They're new. But, but the, the pain, the, the crumbling pain of sin remains, and every act of faith is another scrub brush on that sin which should fall away. We exercise faith, and Every exercise of faith is a pursuit of purity. And I hope that encourages you because for the true believer, which is the majority of you here this morning, you exercised a lot of faith already today. And so you are growing in holiness as you do that. And you should rejoice and you should be thanking God for that. Yes, there's conviction. There's also joy. 
We're going to have to exercise faith if we are to grow in purity. Well, also, number four, we're going to have to grow in the fear of the Lord. You see, purity is always linked to a true fear of God. And that is a delightful, dreadful, consuming, reverential awe of God that drives all of our behavior. How weighty is God to you? To the extent that he is, you pursue purity. You exercise faith. You dig into his word. You seek him out in prayer. You see, the great, mighty, powerful, awesome Savior God, the one who loved you and gave himself for you as as fully God, becoming fully man and taking your penalty on the cross, all of that bound up in a fear of God. He's weighty, and he's more weighty than the things of this world. Unfortunately, the people that we tend to fear are who? Men. Hear me carefully. In any place that you fear man more than you fear God, you are unholy. Every thought or action or word dictated by a fear of man is unholy. I did that because so-and-so would think this about me. I did that action because my friends wouldn't appreciate it if I didn't do this. My spouse and, and, and what they want is driving my behavior. So I did that so I wouldn't upset them or, or they, wouldn't, they wouldn't come after me and get mad at me, whatever it might be. It's unholy. It doesn't matter what, what, what you've built around it. I have to do that. I'm afraid of what might happen or these things. It doesn't matter what, you, what kind of construct you put around it. If it's a fear of man, it's not holy. It has to be driven by a fear of God, all of our actions. And as they are, then we grow in holiness. Because again, remember, every exercise of faith is not living according to the commandments of men, the, the, the ex- expectations of men. It is living according to the expectations of God. And I already read you the verse, 2 Corinthians 7.1. Therefore, having these promises, and the promise was that if we draw close to God in 2 Corinthians 6, if we draw close to God, he, is, he draws close to us. We separate ourselves out from the world and we exercise our sonship, that we are sons of God, and we draw close to him. Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. Of course, if cleansing myself from defilement of flesh and spirit draws me closer to God, the exact premise of this passage, then I long for it more than I long for anything else because God is weighty to me. It says perfecting holiness, then to finish 2 Corinthians 7.1, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. To the extent that you fear God, you will pursue holiness. In any place that you don't, you will, per, you will live according to a fear of man and you will be unholy. How weighty is God to you this morning? Does he drive everything you do? And yes, it has to do with his majestic power. It's a delightful, dreadful, consuming awe. He's the judging God. He's the, he's the holy God. He's the wrathful God. But it is also a reverential awe. He's the saving God, the loving God, the graceful God, the, the God who took your penalties, all of those bound up in one. Why shouldn't he drive everything you do? Why should you allow anyone else? I mean, think about the insanity of of changing your life or living your life driven by humans or even driven by your own heart, which is really what's going on, or the sinfulness that remains. Imagine the foolishness of that. You're finite. You're foolish. You lack power. You're not full of grace and mercy, as is the God of the universe. It only makes sense that you would be governed by fear of the Lord. Plus, if you're to grow in holiness, you need to grow in the fear of the Lord. You also need to maintain a clear conscience. You see, this takes some work. All these are, are things that Scripture, the pieces that Scripture gives to holiness. You need to maintain a clear conscience. Well, I thought you read the verse in Hebrews that said, you, our conscience was sprinkled clean. That is, now we can actually have a proper judge or standard in the mind. Well, that's true. 
You see, before, when your conscience was tainted with sin, it could never properly judge what was going on in the heart. So you never were properly condemned by your own conscience. Now, with it being sprinkled clean, you are able to make, a prop, make proper judgments as you inform your conscience with Scripture. So you need to constantly be growing in your understanding of what is right and wrong, and then constantly applying that standard to everything going on in your heart. This is a lot of work. You have to think about this. You have to evaluate what's going on in the heart. It is amazing how Scripture portrays the conscience. In Romans chapter 2, it talks about the fact that the conscience either either judges or it either condemns or it, it approves the thoughts of the heart. So it's like you're thinking about what you're thinking. That's what you're doing constantly. Not just thinking things and, just, and doing things. Your conscience is always overseeing those. Paul says this in Acts 24, 16. In view of this, that is the desire to see other men come to Christ and pursue the work of the ministry. In view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience both before God and before men. With anything that I do, I want to be careful to think, was that done by faith? Was it done according to the fear of the Lord? Was it done according to a love of men? That is, that which would enable them to look more like Jesus instead of a selfish motive, a lustful motive. And at the end of the day, or really all during the day, are you constantly maintaining that blameless conscience? Do you even know when you sin? Now think about trying to get to the end of the day and, and maintain a blameless conscience at the end of the day. Trying to think back through all the things that you did. Well, one, you're, it's already too late. And how are you ever going to remember all of the ways that you misused your mind and your affections and your will during the day at the end of it? The idea that you can get to the end of the day and confess all your sins and, 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 and clear out your conscience at the end of the day, you're going to forget half the things you did, three quarters of the things that you did that were sinful. This is continual. You can't wait. You are maintaining always a blameless conscience. As you sit here right now, you are, you are thinking about the thoughts going through your mind and deciding whether they should be there. And you're kicking out the ones that shouldn't so that you keep the ones that should. It's ongoing. Is that something a lot of energy? Why do you think you need the great power of God? Why do you think God dispenses his spirit to come and live inside of you? Because you can't do it apart from that. You don't have the energy. You'd fall apart trying to do that. But in his power, you can. You maintain a clear conscience. 2 Corinthians 1.12, for our proud confidence is this, says Paul, the testimony of our conscience that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in this world and especially towards you. The testimony of our conscience. And so we seek to maintain a clear conscience that we might grow in purity. Well, very obviously, number six, you then have to think on pure things. You can't say, oh, I'm going to maintain a clear conscience. I'm going to study the word of God. And I'm also going to load my mind full of trash. I'm going to load in there all kinds of impure things, but I'll somehow maintain a clear conscience and I'll pursue holiness. You won't. You can't. Well, it certainly will be mediocre at best. As a true believer, there will be some holiness flowing from your heart but it will be horribly shrunk and, and crushed by the impure things that you think on. We must think about everything in our lives in a truthful and thus pure way, and everything that we put into our minds must be carefully screened through the truth. Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. And again, it's not just thinking, as it were, putting into, it's not only putting into our mind pure things, it is also thinking, everything that comes up out of our minds is to run through the screen of, is that pure? 
And so everywhere, about, it's, a, it's a filter that covers that which is coming in from outside and that which is coming from inside, thinking on what is pure. And remember that even as we contemplate, I mean, think about our world. It's not avoiding things that seem difficult. It's, it's not, well, I, I can't think about then the, the sin going on in the world because that's not pure. No, it's thinking about things that are happening with pure thoughts. That is, evaluating them properly. And certainly it means, but not only. See, people always apply this. as like, well, stop watching bad movies. We ought to stop watching bad movies. But it applies to a whole lot more than that. Certainly it applies to not having junk poured into your head that is already itself just purely sinful. But it's much more than that. It's thinking about everything that does come in and everything that does come out in a pure and holy way, carefully evaluating it. Put away the junk. I mean, that's basic. That's the easy part, or it should be. Unfortunately, it's not for us. We love the junk. Tastes good. Seems good to us. But the more we're growing in, in purity, we set aside those things and we think about things properly and in a holy manner. Well, number seven, and I'm just kind of now I'm going to sum these things up, intense effort. Growth in purity requires an intense, practical, continued effort on our part. The work of God is an essential component. We partner with God, adding our effort as another means that God uses to make us holy. Did you hear that? We add our effort as another means that God uses to make us holy. He always uses means. Your effort is really his work. Did, did you hear that? That will help you. You have to give effort, but that's really his work. He gets all the credit because he's promoting it. He's empowering it. So your work is his means of making you holy. That maybe will help you. You partner with God, but it's not like, I'm doing my work, he's doing his work. I meet God halfway. No, every bit of your work is actually his work and his means that he uses to make you holy. Intense effort. Second Timothy 2.22. Now flee from youthful lust. Flee, run. Does that sound like effort? Who here likes to run? You don't have to raise your hand. I like to run, actually. And yet it takes a lot of effort to run. And it takes a lot of effort to run from sin the sin in your heart and mind, the sin in other places. You have to flee. Flee from youthful lust. Pursue righteousness. Pursue. They don't overtake you. You're walking down the street and a bunch of righteousness jumps on top of you. It just doesn't work that way. It's not lurking around every corner to drag you away. I wish it were. It's the sin that easily entangles, Hebrews 12. It's the righteousness you have to pursue because the world is evil. Our hearts remain with evil within them and the enemy of our souls is pursuing evil continually in our direction. Pursue, now flee youthful lust, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Oh, by the way, this is a community effort. This is done together. We don't have solo runners. We have solo holiness pursuers. This is done as a congregation. If everybody isn't pursuing holiness, you're harming somebody. Those of you in this congregation who are not actively pursuing holiness are harming the rest of us. Don't forget it and start pursuing holiness because you're harming the rest of this effort in any place that you are allowing, that you are condoning, that you are harboring unholiness, you are harboring the entire, or you are harming the entire effort of this congregation. You need to stop so that we might all be holy. So we, this is an intense effort. We pursue these things continually. And really this is all summed up in number eight. This is walking by the spirit. That's what this is. It is supernatural. I've just described to you what it means to walk by the Spirit. That's not some separate thing. That's not some second level blessing. The Spirit comes in and makes you these things. All the things that I've just described are walking in the Spirit. That is prayer for God's work, devotion to the truths of Scripture, exercising faith, growth in the fear of the Lord, maintaining a clear conscience, thinking on pure things, and applying intense effort. 
Galatians 5.16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Sin remains. It fights you internally. And when you walk by the Spirit, you don't carry out its desires. Well, what are the results then of a pure heart? I mean, and I hope that was convicting. I, I hope that you're looking at ways you're going, I'm harming this body by not being pure. I'm harming myself. I'm, I'm dishonoring God, but, but I'm harming everyone. So I need to stop so we can all pursue holiness together. A body that doesn't do that, a church that doesn't do that, just spirals down into mediocrity, into sin, and, and their light is extinguished in the community. They're not representing the kingdom well. So I hope it's convicting, but, but here's the results. Here's why you ought to be doing this. Because when you do this, it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. First, the reality of seeing him. You will, in fact, this is, this is a, a promise for the future when Christ returns that you will see him in his glory. Actual sight. No longer faith, but actually seeing God. And as we've said, everyone will see him. But turn to 2 Thessalonians 1 to get a picture of the two different ways that he will be seen. And I think it will be clear to you which one you desire. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Go ahead and turn. It will help you to see the truth of the text. 2 Thessalonians 1, beginning in verse 5. This is a plain indication, and he's talking about the sufferings that the Thessalonians were undergoing. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. Very similar to our passage. We're in it, but it's coming and we want to be part of it when it comes. We want to remain part of it as it were. Verse 6, for after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed, seen, manifest from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Here's verse 8, the kind of sight that you don't want. And if you're not pure in heart, this is the sight you get. Verse 8, dealing out retribution. Listen carefully. To those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if you know God, you obey the gospel. You obey what is said. You've responded to the gospel and then you obey scripture. If you don't know him, you don't do those things and you will see God, but he, you will see him dealing out retribution upon you as his angels come in flaming fire. Verse 9, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. You will see him, and then you will not. You will see him only for a very brief period of time, long enough for him to send you away into eternal judgment, and you will never see him again. That's the reality of what it means to not be pure in heart. Fundamentally, you will not see God. That is, in, any, in his relational presence, that is, you will see him for a moment in his judgment. But Let's move on. Verse 10 is what we want. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. Verse 11, to this end, we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will see him. If you are pure in heart, that future sight will be when he returns and then you will spend all of eternity gazing upon him in his presence, knowing him and loving him. Is purity of heart worth it? I think so. I think that benefit is greater than any other in, in, in the universe. And particularly when it is contrasted with the punishment of not being pure in heart, 
of not pursuing God, which would indicate that you are not in the kingdom and that you have never been placed into the kingdom if you are not pursuing purity. It is certainly worth it to see God. There's a future sight that comes from seeing God and a present sanctification. That's not on your outline, but Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. To see is to know, to be in right relationship, to, to have the, the glorious, majestic presence of God as your reward. Sanctification, that is the purity of heart. The cultivation of a pure heart is necessary because it indicates the reality of the work of God in your heart. And those who pursue sanctification will see God. The results, if the last blank on your outline, the results of seeing God are, are the manifestations of all of the fruits of the Spirit that are promised in Scripture. When you have or are seeking purity of heart, then you truly love. Then you cry out in, in fervent prayer. You, you are, your prayer life is driven by this purity. Then you're able to discern and to see things clearly where you couldn't before. You proclaim the gospel because you long for others to be pure. You care for the afflicted. You don't join in the sins of others. You exercise godly wisdom. You fellowship with like-minded believers. And I'll leave you with this last one. When it comes to the reality of, of what it would mean, what flows out of a pure heart, then you are, as you pursue this purity, a fitting bride for Christ. Second Corinthians 11. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, says Paul. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Now again, we've been granted purity of heart in, the, in a positional sense by what the, the work that God has done. But in an ongoing way, we are being fit for our marriage when that is consummated and Christ returns again, that we might be a pure virgin, a pure bride. Is that your passion? It is the Lord to whom you are married, as it were. It is he that is your first commitment, your first passion, your first direction. Purity confirms that and affirms that and increases that. Just as pornography and lustfulness and adultery in a marriage destroy it and destroy the passion and joy that a couple shares, so impurity of heart tears away at the beauty of Christ and keeps you from enjoying the precious privilege of his presence, even here on earth. Might we be pure that we might see God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have purified us, that you have cleansed our heart. At its foundation, we have been renewed. And yet, Father, I pray that you would give us strength to, to battle the sin that remains, to continue to scrub away the remains of sin that, that are, uh, we battle in our inner man. Lord, I pray that we would do so because you are weighty to us. You are lovely to us. And we long to be the bride that, that, you, that you have designed. We long to be a fitting bride for you when you come again, that we might see you and love you and spend eternity with you. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. 
If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemarivel.org. Again, that is gracemarivel.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the SOLA and Essentials Conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online, and we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.